Um, uh, when I chose this joke to start my message earlier in this week, it was uh, pretty dry. It's been a dry summer, hasn't it been? It's been actually so dry that the Baptists have begun to sprinkle when they baptism, when they do baptism. The Presbyterians have been giving people a rain check. And the Catholics, they've been asking God to turn the wine back into water. Um, uh, it's been a kind of a crazy wet weekend for me. I mean, last night I was involved in a house dedication uh, and uh, preparing for a baby dedication. All I needed to do to complete the weekend was a wedding and a funeral. So um, I'm glad uh, you guys have held off on that part. But uh, I-, I love weddings. Been able to be involved in a couple of my family's weddings this year, and they're they're pretty special and and sacred occasions. I'm still surprised, actually, and kind of encouraged that Jesus' first public miracle was at a wedding. I think that's actually kind of significant. It's it's pretty pretty cool. It's kind of a familiar story, but it's an event where Jesus rescues uh, this special event, this particular wedding, from being a disaster. Let's take a look at what it has to teach us. I'm going to try to race us through a very deep and rich passage this morning, but I think it's got something for each of us today. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 11. By the way, folks, you can always download a Bible on your phone. Uh, take you a, a minute to do that. And uh, there's also Bibles, loaner Bibles you can pick up at the back, and uh, I would encourage you to do so. It's found John t- chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, just in honor out of, God's, of God's Word. Would you now stand with me if you're able? Uh, so we read the Scripture. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's just pause for a moment and pray. Thanks, Lord, for this inspired story meant to teach us uh, and guide us and inspire us. And I pray you, you do those things in our hearts and our lives today. Um, Jesus, I pray you, you yourself would open up these words to each of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Um, talk about a remarkable story. I mean, isn't that a great, great story? Uh, and it's a story that kind of rings true. I mean, if you were... Uh, launching out on a new career and uh, you were going public, uh, you know, a stock offering or a, uh, you were going to go for an election and, and you're, you're, you're going to start your campaign um, 
or, or some sort of celebrity launch, you'd never start with something like this. You'd actually start with like, Jesus, uh, could we have you like feed the 5,000? Uh, could you uh, do this supernatural, spectacular miracle, uh, healing uh, the sick or, or delivering someone from a demon? Water to wine? I mean, not so much. And so it kind of rings true as something that actually happened. And I think it has a passage that has a, a lot of truth to teach us, both about life and particularly a life of faith. So uh, here's what happens. There's a wedding, and it's in a small rural town called Cana. I, I've been to Cana uh, in Israel. It's, it, there's not much to Cana. And, and there probably was less to it even back then. It, it was this you know, tiny little village about nine kilometers away from Nazareth. That's where, where Jesus grew up. And it's fascinating. Most scholars believe that this wedding was Nathaniel's wedding. Nathaniel being one of the, the, the disciples, one of the apostles. And so, of course, Jesus and the, and the other disciples are invited to this wedding, and, and we're told that Jesus is there at the wedding. I, uh, I don't know how you see Jesus, but I think there's many of us that have this idea of Jesus that he's this super serious and, and super religious type. You know, all work, no play, the kind of guy who would fit in quite nicely at a monastery hanging out with the monks. Maybe, maybe you have that idea of Jesus, or a, a very strict school teacher, or something like that. But, but the Bible presents us with this Jesus who, who went to parties. He ate big meals. He was at feasts and, and festivals. He seemed very much to kind of embrace and, and enjoy life. I, I get the hunch that he would have been fun to be around. In fact, he was often called a glutton and a drunkard, because he was at parties so much. That's the the biblical view of Jesus partying away at his friend's wedding at, at Cana. And uh, some of us view God as, as being kind of the ultimate party spoiler. And scripture and this story tell us a, a very, very different picture. So at this wedding feast at Cana, it says the wine has run out. And at that point, the, the mother of Jesus comes to him and says they have no more wine. You have to understand that Jesus is being quite merciful and, and compassionate here, I, I mean, this is a small town, maybe 50 to 100 people. Um, a small town like that with that kind of culture, I, I'm, I'm just imagining they probably invited everybody. The neighbors you liked, the neighbors you didn't like, they're all there. Maybe 100 guests and, and a few more from surrounding farms or villages. And Now, some of you are parents who've actually had your kids kind of grow up and leave home and, and they've gotten married. And I want you to think for a moment here what it would be like if at your, your reception... You know, the, the caterer comes over to you and says, um, I've got bad news. We've run out of food. That like, like literally the, the, the first third or two-thirds of the people who are in the buffet line just were really aggressive. And, and, they, they, and, and we're out of food. And you're saying, like, what do you mean we're out of food? They're saying, well, we have a few dinner rolls left, and that's it. You know, like, how, how much of a disaster would that be? What would you do? It'd be like... You'd be calling KFC and ask, asking for delivery or something. Well, in, in that day, in ancient times, as I said, hospitality was a, a huge deal. Uh, a wedding would have been one of the, the, the premier events you'd ever put on in your life. And, and wine was the ultimate symbol of, of celebration and, and joy. And so for that, if you're that parent, if, if you're that couple who are getting married... Running out of wine would have been considered catastrophic. You would never, never live that down. 
And Mary very humbly and, and very compassionately comes up to her son and says, they have no more wine. And here's the principle kind of as we start here is that the wine always runs out. I mean, earthly wine always runs out. Um, when I plan a wedding, I almost always tell the couple that you're going to have to expect that not everything is going to go perfect. For one, you've asked me to marry you. You've already got some flaws built right in, right? You know, I, I, get, the names, I get names mixed up at weddings and those kind of things. But I've been at weddings where, where stuff has gone wrong. I tell them, no wedding, no wedding I've ever been to has been perfect. I mean, the... Uh, the, the bride starts giggling uncontrollably. A friend of mine, Mark, his, his daughter giggled for five minutes straight when she was trying to say her vows, and she's now a YouTube sensation. Seriously. Um, you know, the groom stutters at some point. Uh, the ring bearer runs off with the ring. All these kind of things. I mean, just watch, you know, look, type in wedding fails on YouTube, and you'll see some spectacularly bad things that happen at wedding. But, but things can go spectacularly wrong. Uh, the wine always runs, runs out. And how about marriage? I mean, one woman said this to her fiancé, when we get married, I want to share all your, your troubles and your worries and your concerns, your burdens. And the fiancé replied, it's, it's very good of you, darling, but I don't have any worries or troubles. Her response, that's because we're not married yet. <laughs> it happens in marriage. I mean, the wine runs out sometimes. This happens with our health, right? Um, the, the wine runs out there. You, you might not know that yet. Maybe you're young and you're just healthy and you haven't had anything go wrong, but it will. You'll have something. I mean, for you young teens, I mean, acne happens. It's a rule of thumb. Um, how about money? The wine runs out there. The money, you, you know, it doesn't matter how what, the, the money runs out. It doesn't matter how much you got. It, it can happen in a career. Two uh, hillsiders in the last two weeks uh, met with me to tell me how in the middle of summer, in, a, in the middle of a, a beautiful sunny summer, they went into their job and were told that this is your last day. And they were handed a pink slip. They were getting laid off. The wine, that's, that's really the wine running out. Um, it can happen in a career. You know, I mean... I mean uh, you're employed and, and you may love your job, but you find out that even your, your great job isn't perfect. I mean, you have problems. There's problems there. Uh, I'm reading a book about, about Pixar right now, and, and, and it's kind of story, historic rise as being one of the premier animation companies. And even there, the book is really how they overcame problem after problem after problem. And, and so even great companies and great jobs, the wine runs out there, Right. Every relationship, your, your child, your spouse, your mom, your family, no matter how good it can be, the, the wine always runs out. There's, there's always problems. There's always struggles. There's, there's always difficulties. Every relationship. Think of the government. I mean, the government does a lot of good, don't they? But the wine sure runs out there too, doesn't it? I, I mean, the government just doesn't cut it the way, I, way we think they should. I, I think of... Uh, G8 summits. I think of the UN and, and their desire to tackle things like poverty and, and the economy and the environment and conflicts in nations and between nations and, and how so often they are helpless to come up with solutions that actually solve anything. The wine always runs out. We're always stuck with, with these limits and these problems and these setbacks and these disappointments. 
So the, so the wine runs out in life, and, and in this specific case, it's happening in Cana. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Now remember, she's Jesus' mother. I, I love this little interaction. I, I don't know how exactly she said what she said, uh, but, but I, I wonder if she kind of said something like, Jesus, there's a problem, take care of it. You know, as, if, as in take out the garbage, take care of this problem, I, I wonder... Uh, maybe she said something like, I know how you were born. I brought you into this world. No, not quite that. But I was there. I saw the star, the wise men, all that stuff going on. Uh, you know, I, I was at your baptism, and I saw the dove come from heaven and, and John the Baptist, and there was that voice that I heard, the voice of God. I mean, I, I know who you are. And... and uh, just get this thing moving. This thing's getting really embarrassing right now, Mary maybe said to Jesus. In a sense, you know what Mary is doing right here? She's praying. She's praying. This is prayer. And prayer is at the core of the Christian life, isn't it? I mean, Jesus said, ask and seek and knock. Actually, Jesus says when it, when it comes to prayer, don't just ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking and keep on seeking and and keep on knocking. Keep on beating down heaven's door with your knee. Keep on coming to God with your problems and your struggles. Keep on bringing it to Him. And when you think about this, it's an invitation from Jesus that is, is so enormous to just come to Him. To ask. I, I once preached a sermon that was just called, Just Ask. To look to Him to provide. To reach out to Him with our need, whatever our trouble is. Or as Mary did with the needs of her friends who ran out of wine. And uh, the story, I've been kind of living with this story a little bit over the last few months. It's been incredibly refreshing to me. Mary, her faith is so refreshing to me. She, she brought the need to Jesus. They, they have no more wine. The wine has run out. And notice what she did. She left it with him. Notice what she didn't do. She didn't tell him what to do. But she brought it to Jesus. She expressed it clearly and simply put the problem into his hand. You ever done that? Brought a, a need to Jesus, just seeking to express it as simply and as, as clearly as you can. Lord, the wine's run out. Lord, the, the money's run out. Lord, my, my joy has, has run out. Lord, my sense of, of purpose, my sense of meaning and calling has, has, has run out. Lord, my capacity to fight this addiction. God, my, my willingness to, to choose the right way, to go the right path. Um, God, my, my desire for, for what's good has run out. Lord, we have no more. Fill in the blank for yourself. Mary gets very specific about a need, and one of the, the prime lessons of this story is that, that bringing our need to Jesus in a very humble way is, is a very good thing. I, I like how uh, Abraham Lincoln put this when he was president. He said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My, my own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. You know, I, I think Lincoln... As, as one of the most powerful men in the world in his day, 
I think he understood that it doesn't matter how much power you have, it's not quite sufficient for the day. It's not quite enough. It's above his pay grade. He doesn't know. He needs help. The help of the Almighty. The, The wine actually runs out for everybody. And it reminds us of our need for God, like teenagers do. This leads us to the third part of the story. It's uh, quite interesting to see Jesus' response to Mary. He, he says, woman, why do you bother me? No, that wasn't quite it. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. This is um, simply a confusing response on Jesus' part. It, it, it seems like he's totally rebuffing his mother. And he, I mean, he says something that, that I don't think I could ever say and get away with. He says, woman. Uh, any of you, in the, you got a, a, a woman in your life, a, a, someone of the feminine sex, and, and you say woman to them today? How does that go over, really, guys? I mean, it just not well at all. It causes a whole whack of problems, but Jesus says woman. Actually, I don't think he used that tone of voice. That's my hunch. In fact, for, for Jesus, I, I don't think it came across like that away, at all because he uses this word with his mother quite tenderly elsewhere. In fact, he says woman to his mother from the cross when he was saying some of his final words and he was making sure she was going to be cared for by John. He says, he says woman. And then he called the Samaritan woman this. We saw his care for her and then Mary Magdalene as well. So this was obviously a very tender expression. It wasn't derogatory at all. But Jesus makes it clear. He goes on to say, my, my hour has not yet come. Um, what do you mean by that? He may have been referring to, to his crucifixion to come, his time on the cross when he would uh, sacrifice himself for the world's sins, he, he, his purpose to redeem all of humankind, in fact, all of creation, kind of breaking the power of sin and death. He might have been saying, my, that hour has not yet come. But however you look at it, this was kind of a nice way of Jesus saying to his, do- his mother, no. Question, what do you do when when Jesus says no? I mean, you're asking, you're bringing a need, and it seems pretty clear that the answer is, is no. Um, it can be pretty obvious sometimes why Jesus would say no. You've, uh, you're asking to win the, the, the $100 million lottery, and you're like saying, God, just help me win this. May this be the winning ticket, and I promise I won't let this money corrupt me. <laughs> or uh, you're at work, and somebody upsets you, and your prayer is, God, vaporize them. But at other times, and, and, and often a lot of the time, we ask God for really good things, very good things, or at least appears to be a good thing, and he basically says no. It could be quite simply the, the school that you want to go to, uh, you're single and, and you'd like to, to meet somebody, or you're, you're praying for something, uh, something significant in your life, or you're, you're praying for a, a friend or a family member who's sick, you're praying, God, I know you can take care of this, but nothing's happening. Why? Seems like, like God leaves you hanging. Some of you, you, you got a dream, and you, you poured your life into this dream, and, and, and it's not flourishing. In fact, it's failing, and it's kind of dying. I could go on and on and on. Things that we pray about, and it seems like the answer is no. There's really, a, I'd say, a choice at that moment. You know, what do you do? The question is, what are you doing? Some people simply despair. They kind of throw up your, their hands. They, they get discouraged. Why pray? It, it seems to work for you, but... But prayer doesn't work for me. And so they don't have a prayer life anymore, and they kind of just kind of make it on their own. They go their own way in life. 
Some people actually get really angry with God. I bump into this from time to time, people who uh, have got so angry that God hasn't answered a prayer, particularly when somebody you love gets sick and, and it seems like they go anyway and, and they, the answer seems no to them and they even reject God. They walk away from God in those moments sometimes. The question is, how do you respond? Look at Mary. Uh, I'd say her response is amazing. I, I suspect that her response is actually meant to teach us about what it means to pray. Because when she seems to be rebuffed by Jesus, what does she do? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What's Mary doing there? She, she's just trusting Jesus. You know, she, she has no idea what's going on, but she's not resentful. She's not angry. She's not bitter. Uh, she doesn't give up on Jesus. She's very calm in what appears to be a no. She teaches us that that prayer is trusting that his wine never runs out. Uh, it's interesting to me that, that uh, Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, he's the guy who kind of led the charge of the, the Protestant Reformation. And, and Martin Luther actually saw this as one of the core passages in the New Testament to teach us about the nature of faith and about what it actually means to have faith in Jesus. And he kind of lifts up Mary here as an example of faith. This is what Luther writes about Mary. He says, Jesus turns away the humble request of his mother who addresses him with such great confidence. Now observe the nature of great faith. What has it to rely on? Absolutely nothing. All is darkness. However unkind he appears, she does not interpret it as anger. She still expects of him nothing but kindness. She is certain that he will be gracious. She's, I love that. She's so certain. She's so confident of, of God's care. Uh, and so she simply says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. How, how is she able to do that? Well, she'd gotten to, to know Jesus, and she trusts his character. She'd had a, a front row seat to his wisdom and to, to his goodness. She, she'd walked with them most of his life. And, and, and I also think she's come to understand all those scriptures that remind us that God's ways are higher than our ways. That God's thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. That our thoughts are, are not like his thoughts. In, fa- in fact, I, I think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. That's kind of an important scripture where, where it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. In other words, we know a little bit. God knows everything. We know just God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, but he's so much bigger than we can ever comprehend. We know a a little bit from our kind of small perspective in life. We know something. But but here's the thing. There, There is a vast universe of knowledge out there that we do not know. Basically, the secret things belong to God. We have no idea. Um, be like trying to explain to a two-year-old how the mortgage works or how the stock market works or, or, or how government works. And, and how would that go over? Not so well. Why? Because they're two. They're just not going to get it. The, the gap between us and them is, is pretty huge. Well, let me say the gap between us and God is, is just about infinite. To think we could understand what God is up to, that our, that our brain could contain it. That's, that's why 
This is at the core of what Christianity is, and it's basically trusting. And Paul talks about this in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 11, where he says that God's ways, his judgments are unsearchable, and his ways are beyond tracing out. We, we just can't trace his ways. We just can't quite get it. So what Mary does is she stays with Jesus. She remains with Jesus. She sticks with him. She abides with him, even though she doesn't know what's going on, but she trusts that, that he's good, and she believes that his ways are higher, that his ways are better. And, and, and really, this takes us to the whole heart of, of the New Testament, which is the invitation to believe. And that word, word believe, the original word there really meant to trust. And it's not like you trust and, and, and then you're done. You do this kind of over and over, and we're called into this relationship with God where we trust him kind of again and again we learn to grow in this trust of god that he does actually know better i mean in john chapter six they come to jesus and they ask him you know what must we do to do the work that god requires and you think that jesus might actually say well you you feed the poor and you heal the sick and you raise disciples and you build a church but what does jesus reply with he says the work of god is this is to trust the one in whom he sent to trust me. That's, what you, that's the work of God. That's the primary work of God is to trust him. That's it. That's the, that's the essence of prayer. That's the, the essence of, of the Christian life. It's found in that word, believing Jesus. It's actually so simple that even a child can do this. So Mary gets an apparent no, but she trusts. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. That's her prayer. And, and, and I want to say this morning, again, we are invited to, to put our need and our problems and our concerns, our, our, our lack, whatever we're lacking, whatever's run out, we can put it in his hands. You know what's right, God. You know what's good. I, I want this, but, but you know what's best, and I trust you. And then here's the ne- next key is do whatever he tells you to do. Um, she said that to the servants. I feel like Mary is saying this right now through time to you and I this morning. Do whatever he tells you to do. They, they just leapt off the page this week, and I almost couldn't leave those words. Do whatever he tells you to do. You know, the, the first step uh, is, is bringing our need to Jesus, but it's not the last step. The, the second step is to listen for whatever he, want, whatever he wants you to do. Uh, we, we put the thing in God's hands, but... But we also ask, is there anything you want me to do in relation to this need? Is there, is there anything I'm supposed to do here? You know, prayer is not this kind of one-sided conversation where we unload on God. Like, you know, I, I wonder sometimes we treat prayer like a comment box, you know, that's at the back of a business. You write your comments and you shove it in the box and, and you don't expect to hear back from them, do you? Like you just, you're giving them your, your critiques and your criticisms or, yeah, it would be better if, if you'd actually cooked the chicken. That would have been tastier, I think. Whatever it might be. Prayer, prayer is not this kind of one-sided comment box where we, we do that. Asking, seeking, knocking also includes listening and then expecting he'll guide us somehow in relationship to our need. Sometimes when I expect, uh, when I bring a need to God, I sense him prompting me to actually respond, to actually do something. Um, a friend of mine 
uh, runs a, a Christian ministry, and, and, and his ministry, that he, he was kind of in startup phase, and he'd stepped out to do this, and he knew it would be a bit of a miracle to, to have the funds to do this. And at one point in their building of this building on this property, uh, the money had run out, quite honestly. And, and during that season, he kind of lived in this prayer. Basically, turned that into a prayer to God and said, Lord, the, the money has run out. And he lingered over that, just that one line for a couple of days until it got to the place where he felt God prompting him to ask for help. And so he prayed another prayer. He says, Lord, who should I call? I meant to ask for help from somebody. Who should I call? And God put a very specific person in his brain. And uh, he was still hesitant because he didn't want to make the call. <laughs> a little bit afraid. So he procrastinated. The day went on. Finally, he picks up the phone, he calls this friend, and he gets a hold of this guy and says, listen, uh, even though I'm in my mind, I wanted to tell you, you know, uh, I have a need. He says, this, this guy stops him and says, you know what? You have been on my mind all week. Your ministry has been on my mind all week. What's going on? And he says, well, I got a need for some finances. And the guy says, you listen, I've come into some extra money this week. I'd like to give it to you. And the next morning, this man had a check for thousands of dollars in his hands, covering not just the immediate need, but the need for for a time to come. God provided in that very, very way. See, he, he brought his need to Jesus, and Jesus didn't say, just wait and do nothing. Sometimes Jesus says, I want you to do this. I want you to respond in this way. And, 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 and part of our growing in a life of trust is actually listening to God and paying attention to what he says, listening to those whispers. Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. Some of you need to stop and listen and, and pay attention. Let God Speak into your situation and then do what he says. The servants at Jesus' instruction retrieved these large water jars and they filled them with water and we're told out pours this beautiful Bordeaux. Actually, that's not in Scripture. But I'm imagining it's like this beautiful, beautiful wine. We're told in verse 9 that the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He didn't know where it came from that the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, listen, this is so bizarre. Everyone at a wedding brings out the, 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 the best wine first, and then you bring down the watered-out stuff, you know, the stuff that's really not that tasty at the end. And you've, you've turned the tables here. You're bringing out the choicest wine last. This is the best wine I've ever tasted, he says, in a sense. We're told the wine he produced was better than what they'd started the party with. And Jesus didn't just doctor the water and make it taste like wine. The water in those, those jars was transformed into the, the finest wine those people had ever tasted. You know what? Jesus is still into this. It's called transformation. Changing stuff. Jesus is all about that. He turned water into wine. He can still do this in our lives. He can just turn despair in, into hope. Deserts in, into gardens. <laughs> Sorrow into joy. You know, beauty for ashes, strength for fear. Jesus is all about this transforming lives, transforming hearts. When we put our lack and our need and we put it before Him, He can transform it into to something extraordinary. I, I, I'd like to say this, when we take a step further and we actually put our lives in God's hands, He can transform our lives into something extraordinary. We begin to evidence His life and His grace. We begin to, to be filled with with joy and hope and, and, and love that we could never have on our own, with wisdom that comes from Him. He begins to transform us, our very lives. 
Um, my son got home from camp yesterday. Would, would you be prepared to share that story, son? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you want me to share? Do I have your permission? You sure? He looked a little hesitant. This could be one of these daddy mistakes I make right here in front of the whole congregation. Um, he told us about a, a, an experience he had at camp that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Um, he was serving there. He was working at, at part of a dish crew, dish pit crew, and taking care of babies. And, and they had some time off one afternoon. They went for a long hike. And uh, he had this growing headache as they were walking along. And, and they got about as far away from the camp as they could get on this island. And this headache now was like a massive, you know, really a migraine. And so much so that actually he needed to, to sit down uh, on a rock, and he just started crying. He was in so much pain. And his uh, group leader came over to him and said, you know, let's, let's pray. And, and, and Noah um, told me what he said yesterday. And he prayed this prayer. He said something along the lines of, Father, I know you're so good. You're a good, good father. But this sucks right now. And I give it to you. And he felt enough strength to get up. He's still feeling this, this terrible headache, and they, they were going to start making their way back. And he says, about 30 seconds later, as he's walking along, he said it's like a hand reached into his head and extracted that headache, headache right from him, and it was gone. Isn't that cool? That's not the end of the story. He says, uh, what was very, very cool was Dad, uh, after the headache was gone, my heart was filled with a joy like I've almost never tasted before. And me and this, this guy I was with, my leader Alex, we just started hooting and hollering and dancing and scaring off all the deer in the woods there. I mean, but filled with joy and laughter because Jesus had touched him. In fact, he said something that really disappointed me. He said, um, Dad, this was the highlight of my summer. I spent thousands of dollars taking him to Sri Lanka. <laughs> my highlight of my summer was, you know, he's a terrible child. <laughs> but Jesus touched him, and it, he got filled with, with the joy of God. And, and I mean, we'd like to never go through anything, and, and we'd also like to, to say, God, why not like him? Like, that's pretty immediate, right? That's 30 seconds is not waiting a long time. Some of you have been waiting a long time. You've been waiting a long, long time. You're, you're in the middle of it right now. I talked to somebody last week who's like, I, I have been looking for a job for so long. I'm so discouraged. I know, I know people who, who are in the middle of a chronic health situation. They go, when is enough enough? Like, I, I've, I've been struggling for such a long time. I'd encourage you to grow in the faith of Mary. She just went to God and said, her son, and said, the wine's run out. They have no more wine. Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Bring it to Jesus. And then do whatever he tells you to do. And, and then watch out. We can't predict this. This is not A plus B equals C. God does... I mean, Jesus does remarkable, amazing, and unpredictable things. And so then wait and see what God might do. He may just turn your situation, what feels like water, into the best wine ever.
I have a sense he wants to do that in some of you today. He just wants to take what you're in the middle of and he just wants to mix it up on you. Do something better than you could ever dream up yourself. Why? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You bow your heads with me. I'm going to invite us to just pray this morning. Because this is not complicated coming to Jesus to bring him our stuff, right? This is something where you can do this right here, right now. And I invite you to do that. And so maybe, uh, I always think it's just great in prayer. You don't have to do this all the time, but why don't you put your hands out in front of you in an open posture that they're kind of facing up. And, and I'm going to ask uh, you to just offer it to Jesus. Uh, for you, maybe you feel like the wine has run out, but it, it's not like just one thing. It's like, it's like there's all kinds of areas in your life where the wine has run out. And Jesus would invite you to bring all of them to him as clearly and as simply as you can. Lord, the, the joy has run out. The money's run out. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. The blank has run out. And give that to him. Let's, let's pray for... I'm going to let you just uh, quietly meditate for a minute or so, and then we'll close with a song. I want to assure you this morning, just as we continue to pray, that Jesus hears your prayer. He's, he knows about your need and he really cares. He really, he really loves you. And, and, and uh, he wants to journey with you in this area. And he, and he wants you to, to, again, respond and listen and, and trust. Do what he says. Maybe for some of you this morning, though, uh, you, you go, I don't know if I've ever really put my life in his hands. I don't know if I've ever really trusted Jesus. And uh, Jesus offers that for anybody that would come to him. He says, uh, I, I did it all on the cross, and I made a way, and I can take care of your debts, and I can forgive your sin. And come to me, and you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and Jesus is the one who can give you the wine that never runs out can change your heart. It says when we come to him and when we receive him, he gives us the right to become children of God. You become a son and a daughter of God. If you want to do that, make that step, just in your own heart, say, God, I, I trust you. I believe you. I believe Jesus is who he said he is. And I want to put my life now in his hands. If you did that this morning, I'd encourage you to talk to us about that. It's, it's the start of a, a, a new journey of faith. And uh, it doesn't take all your, your, your struggles away, but it, it reorientates you to God and his ways.
and his life and, and his resources, which, unlike the world's resources, his wine never runs out. So, Father, this morning, where the wine has run out in our lives, we look to you. We say we trust you this morning, Lord. Meet us in those places, we pray. We ask you these things. In Jesus' name, amen.